Good morning, and welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, and today I'm sitting with attorney Jennifer Taddeo. I'm going to be talking about estate planning during and after a divorce. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, Hindel. How are you? I'm well today. Welcome. How are you? Well, I'm very well. It's summer. <laughs> I'm really happy about that. So I'd like to hear a little about yourself so we can get started on this topic. Absolutely. I'm an estate planning attorney. I have a background in tax, and I actually worked at one of the, the big accounting firms until I realized that uh, as much fun as I was having in international tax reorgs, I was only adding <laughs> a, a few cents. There. Yeah, yeah. You know, only a few cents of profit per share. I wasn't actually helping people. And I found my way into estate planning where I could use that tax geekery in a way that was really going to make a difference in people's lives and help to solve their problems. Good. So you're well suited to do estate planning with that tax background. Absolutely. Yeah. Has there been many changes in the tax law? Oh, it has been a fun ride during my career. And every time they look to change the tax laws, there is a panic and people decide that estate planners will be no more. But every time the estate tax exemption goes up, it actually frees us up to really talk with people about the factors in their life that we can uh, we can really impact in their estate plan. I love having the opportunity to put a family's values into action by having an estate plan that really reflects those. Good. You free up some dollars by using the tax advantages, right? (laughs) Good. Well, I'm curious because I'm a divorce attorney, how we can advise clients or you can advise clients who are getting a divorce, um, how they should think about their estate plan while they're divorcing. And later we'll talk about how to think about it once the divorce is over. Absolutely. Well, Hindel, you're actually way ahead of a lot of divorce attorneys out there because you're even thinking about this. A lot of times when somebody gets to the point where they are considering or they've decided upon a divorce, they focus just on getting through that. And uh, the process is not a fun one, Mm -hmm. uh, but it really is important that the divorce attorney knows enough that at that point they're bringing in an estate planning attorney, whether the client already has one in place that they used separately, or whether it's someone that both of the spouses agree to waive a conflict and allow the attorney to work with one of them going forward. But if not, it's helping them to find an estate planning attorney who can be a part of the team and can really help to get you on good footing going forward. Yeah. So assuming most people have estate plans while they're married and mm-hmm. they have kind of their typical reciprocal wills, leaving everything mm-hmm. to the other surviving mm-hmm. spouse, what should people think about changing while they're getting divorced? Well, when, when I'm brought in in a divorce situation, first of all, I'll never change the will or the trust unless I get express direction from the, the divorce attorney. Yeah. I think it's really important that the estate planning attorney understand and respect the restrictions that a court will place upon changing any disposition of assets. But one thing that we can evaluate right away, and one thing that's often important to evaluate right away, is what we refer to as the ancillary documents. So a healthcare proxy. Now, that will be revoked by divorce, but oftentimes that's not what we want. We want to just execute a new healthcare proxy and name somebody other than that spouse. Mm -hmm. They may still be legally married, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the person you would want having the ability to pull the plug. (laughs) Or make those medical decisions for you if you need someone to. And that would be an awful situation for, say, parents of a person to be in a a situation where their child's estranged spouse has all of the decisions. All right. 
So we, before we get off the topic to another ancillary document, can you describe what a healthcare proxy is? Absolutely. In Massachusetts, we have the ability to name another person, to step into our shoes, and to make any decision that we could have made. And this document is triggered when we are medically incapacitated or if we lose the ability to communicate. It's really important to understand that in Massachusetts, that's all it is. We can't go a step further and say, oh, but if this, then you have to decide that. Or, oh, but if uh, this, then you would always do that. It really is just allowing that person the power. It's actually for that reason that I tell my clients, having a healthcare proxy in Massachusetts, it's a two-step process. You have the document where you name the person who can make the decisions, and you can have a laundry list of people one at a time. Yeah. But then step two is as important. You have the conversation. Mm -hmm. You sit down together with your spouse, if there is one, or with whomever you're naming, yeah. and make very clear what your wishes are. And I like to see families do that all together so that if somebody is making decisions, they understand what the person wanted and can support each other. I see. Two-step process for healthcare proxies. Yes. So the person appointed to make the healthcare decisions is the agent? Yes, that's the healthcare agent. But you can't have more than one at a time. No, Massachusetts makes a good decision, I think, and says that one person is going to be giving the direction to the medical professionals. Yeah. So anytime there are two people, there are very likely to be two answers. I see. All right, so what's the next ancillary document? A durable power of attorney. This is a really powerful, really important document. This allows somebody else to make business, financial, and legal decisions on your behalf. Uh -huh. And the type of durable power of attorney that I tend to draft and that most estate planning attorneys I know draft is called a current grant or a non-springing durable power of attorney. And that means the moment you sign it, it's effective. Mm -hmm. And if somebody has that original document mm -hmm. and goes to your bank, even if you are absolutely competent and absolutely in charge of your affairs, the bank doesn't have any obligation to look into that. They look and see the original document naming this person. They confirm the person's identity. And then they'll follow their instructions. Under the power of attorney. Under the power of attorney. Uh -huh. So you can see where if somebody is about to get a divorce, they may want that changed immediately. Yeah. And I think it's a good idea in that case yeah. to revoke the old one, do a new one, and even advise your bank if you have separate assets, advise the bank that, hey, there is a new durable power of attorney, and that's the only one to be honored. Wow. So the durable power of attorney should be changed during mm -hmm. the divorce to prevent the divorcing the other spouse from making decisions for our mm -hmm. clients, for example, right? Absolutely. How do you go about revoking the prior power of attorney? Generally, the new document in its opening will revoke it. In some cases, we'll go a step further and send notice of that revocation to the prior, we call the person named under this an attorney, in fact, yes. which is a very confusing old-fashioned name. Yeah. It does not mean it needs to be an attorney. Yeah. We don't generally even serve in that capacity. But we will say, think about sending a, a notice of revocation to the prior attorney, in fact, to the bank, to anybody who might be relying upon that old uh, durable power of attorney. I understand. It seems important. It is. Yeah. And there's actually one other document that's not so much an ancillary, but it's an important document to do in a situation like this. In Massachusetts, if you die, your body goes to your surviving spouse. Uh -huh. They would have possession of your body. They would have the right to dispose of it as they saw fit. Uh -huh. But you can do a writing that directs otherwise. 
And so in situations where spouses are estranged and perhaps not really get along with each other's families as they move toward divorce, it's really important for a client to consider during this period, if I were to die, how troubling that would be for their family that the estranged spouse would have complete control. Something I had never thought about. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. We get to think of all sorts of wonderful (laughs) and morbid things as estate planners. (laughs) What is that document called? It's just a direction. Okay. Yes, so it is a document that we can do tailored to whatever the person's decision is, whether it's their parents would have that, their adult children, a sibling, a friend. All right, so two important documents and one new one that I've mm-hmm. just learned about. So the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy are two ancillary documents to change while divorcing. Yes. And then potentially this direction related to your your burial. dead body. Yes. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> your burial. <laughs> now the will and the trust cannot be changed during divorce. Is that right? I always defer to the divorce attorney. Uh-huh. I know that the court has many restrictions on changing any disposition of assets. That's true. And so during that period where they're not a happily married couple, but they are not yet divorced, I really want to make sure that we're getting the benefit of the expertise of their divorce attorney. Right. All right. So while people are still married, even though they're in the divorce process, there's something called a spousal share. What is that? So in Massachusetts, you have the right to, if you are disinherited, to elect against your your will, the will of your predeceased spouse, and to take this spousal share. So there's a different disposition depending upon whether you have children or not, whether there is a surviving parent or not, but the statute lays out what a spouse can get. Mm-hmm. And so during, even if you were to go ahead and change your will during the period where you are still married, your estranged spouse is going to be able to get some portion of your estate depending upon the specifics. All right, but the circumstances are if, if one spouse wants to disinherit the other. Yes. So let's see, when is that likely to happen? It could happen, obviously, if they're not divorcing, too. Right? Absolutely. And we, when we do plans like that, and there are situations where yeah. a happily married couple will decide to bypass each other yeah. for various reasons, we, we do actually advise our clients that we can put this in place, and after one spouse dies— the other spouse can say, you know what, I don't agree. I don't think that was a great idea. I'm going to elect against the will and take my my spousal share. And will that change of mind supersede what's in the will? Yes. Yes? Yes. So you can't waive the spousal share? No. No? Huh? Okay. So that's interesting. So a lot of people don't have estate plans. No, do you find that? <laughs> I do find that. I actually just read an article where I was talking about the fact that about two-thirds of Americans who have minor children don't name a guardian. Uh-huh. And it is one of those things that both drives people to do an estate plan, and at the same time, it makes it so hard because people are so anxious about who to name. Uh-huh. I think in a divorce, this can really boil over because you're maybe the person that you had named before is on the other side of the family, and you you are no longer on good terms with them. My advice to people is to breathe, (laughs) and uh, in many cases, to not make any changes on the guardianship side, to wait and let everything settle down with the divorce, and always try to step back and think about what is in the best interest of the children. Mm -hmm. There are cases where the divorce impacts the relationships between the families 
so deeply that we do, on one side, change what that person's guardianship provisions say, both in their will and in their emergency guardianship proxy. But I always advise my divorce clients that, if possible, their will should match their former spouse's will in terms of the guardianship provisions. Mm. God forbid something happened to both of them at the same similar time, yeah. it would make the children's transition a lot easier. Well, on this subject of guardianship for minor children, so minor children are children under the age of 18, right? Yes. When you're married, you might have a guardian or name a guardian in your wills because in the event both parents die at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously if one parent dies, the guardian, the ownership of the children or the guardianship goes to the surviving, surviving yes. parent. Yeah. During a divorce, the same thing happens, doesn't it? Yes. If one parent dies. Yes. What I re- try to remind my clients yeah. of is the idea that in a will, you are merely nominating your guardian. You're not appointing the guardian. Uh The court does that. Uh And the court will certainly take the nomination under advisement, Uh but the court makes the determination that they believe to be in the best interest of the child. That is one of those things that people find scary, but is also a, a really protective aspect of it as well. Because if circumstances change between when you make your nomination and when it's actually being applied, the court can look at those changed circumstances. And perhaps somebody was appropriate in the past but is not right now. It allows them to take those circumstances into consideration. I see. Interesting. So we've developed a new program here called The Gap Year, which is helping people get through the next year of their life after a divorce. So is there something that you can suggest people think about with their estate plan during that gap year period of time? Absolutely. I think that during that gap year, it would be ideal for them to look at the guardianship, see if that's still appropriate, to work in conjunction with the divorce attorney, their financial advisor, their accountant, and really come up with their new financial plan. And then look at their estate planning documents and determine how do I put those new values into action in this trust, in this will. Uh Um, A lot of times people are realizing that as much as they're moving toward a very productive co-parenting relationship, um, sometimes it's the financial values that have, have led to the divorce. And they realize they don't want that former spouse in charge of any assets that they leave for the child. Yeah. So we can put in place a trust that allows them to put somebody else in charge of any money that they might leave, yeah. subject, of course, to the divorce agreement, uh-huh. and to provide their own guidance, to let the the trustee and their children know how they want that money used for them if something should happen. Yeah. There is something that's typically done in divorce agreements called separation agreements where there's life insurance provisions Mm -hmm. naming the other spouse as trustee for the benefit of the children. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wonder how that works in reality. Actually, that does work well. I think that when there's a divorce attorney like you who, who takes a lot of these concerns into consideration and has the insurance be held in trust, Uh uh, that can make a big difference because we can then say, take the life insurance policy and put it into what's called an irrevocable life insurance trust or an ILET. Uh We do love our acronyms. Uh And the ILET can allow for the divorced spouse to be the trustee until the age of emancipation. It allows the spouses to really honor the intent of the separation agreement without committing themselves to be entangled for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So after the children are above that age, 
they can then name their own trustee, somebody that they feel would be more appropriate. Uh -huh. right. And it can also allow, depending upon how the separation agreement is drafted, it can allow them to provide for the assets to be divided differently after that uh, age of emancipation. You know, Hindal, there was also another thing I wanted to mention that I know you're familiar with, but a lot of divorce attorneys miss, and that is when a family has irrevocable trusts in place, it's very important that an estate planner be brought in early on in the divorce because I can evaluate for the divorce attorney, what does this irrevocable trust actually say? What rights does your client have or what rights might they lose with the divorce? And with that information, you're much better armed going into negotiations about any modifications that you might want to put before the court. Mm, very good point. Thank you. All right. Well, it's a big transition after a person gets divorced. Is there anything else they should think about as far as their estate plan? Well, I think that people should approach their estate plan understanding that it is not something that is just carved in stone and that you do and walk away from. Uh -huh. It is okay to make decisions that seem right for right now and maybe the coming five years and know that you'll revisit it. Uh -huh. You can check in with your estate planning attorney and say, you know what, I don't think this person's right for this particular role anymore because people's lives change uh -huh. as anybody who is going through a divorce knows. Yes. And it's okay to have your estate plan updated not because of estrangement, but because that person's life has moved in a different direction or yours has. Yeah. Um, it should be a living document that reflects where you are now and where you're going. Good point. A lot of people don't have estate plans at all. You should think about it uh, changing and having one and then being prepared to change it or Absolutely. revisit it. Yeah. When I talk about estate plans, it's a, it's a big word that people are familiar <laughs> with, but what does that include? Well, estate planning is really the process of evaluating your assets, your goals, your family dynamics, and coming up with a plan that really addresses all of those. It's why when people say, well, I, I need a will, yeah. that's often not what they actually mean. They need an estate plan, and uh -huh. they need to really think about what that means for them. There are some documents that are typically included in an in estate plan. Yeah. We typically will do a will which uh, nominates and empowers some fiduciaries and disposes of assets. Yeah. When there are minor children, we will always do an emergency guardianship proxy. That's a document that allows somebody to step in immediately if both parents are incapacitated or pass away without any delay. Okay. Of course, they have to go to court within 30 days, but in an emergency, that's a lifetime. Uh -huh. uh, we will often do a trust. And really, I think people get overwhelmed when they hear the term trust. It's just a set of babysitter instructions. <laughs> it's a way of saying, yeah. if I can't manage my assets because I'm incapacitated or because I've passed away, here is how I want them, them managed. And the type of trust that we're doing in most plans is a revocable trust. And I tell clients that's a lot like putting a new pocket on your coat. Mm -hmm. You can put assets that you hold into the pocket. Mm -hmm. You can take them out. You can decorate the pocket. You can rip it right off your coat if you want to. So you <laughs> Love <can> the imagery. <laughs> you can spend the assets. You can add assets in. Yeah. You can amend it to change how it works. Or you can revoke it completely. And when it is that revocable trust, that coat pocket, because you're wearing that coat, it's a part of you. 
Moving assets into it won't be a realization event for capital gains. It won't have any impact. The IRS doesn't see it as anything separate from you, so you won't get a tax identification number for it. You won't file any income tax returns for it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot less uh, confusing than people think it is. And that really allows us to help people stay out of the probate process. It allows us to minimize or even eliminate estate taxes for married people. And it allows us to provide the beneficiaries with an incredible amount of creditor protection. So, and Lots of we, benefits. There are a lot of benefits. It's, uh, it's worth exploring. It's not right for everybody. Yeah. But it's one of those things that I don't let a client walk out of my office without understanding why it is or isn't right for him or her. And there are quite a few kinds of trusts. Absolutely. So the revocable trust is just one type. There are also a great number of irrevocable trusts of many different kinds. I mentioned one earlier, the ILIT, the Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust. And because I do like my imaging, Mm -hmm. I tell clients that that's like a Uh lockbox. You put the asset in and you turn the key, whatever the key may be. In many cases, it's that person's death. And however we design the lockbox is how it will work. In many cases, we design it with a little slot into it so that income can come out. Um, There are a lot of different ways to do it. But the idea is that until you turn the key, you're not taking that asset out. And that can be used in the insurance planning situation, or this could be if we're planning for nursing home care and we want to, say, take a home and put it out of the reach of nursing homes. Uh So we would do a mass health planning trust for that. Or on the taxable side, when people have a a taxable estate, we'll use a number of different types of irrevocable trusts in order to give away assets but still maintain some aspect of control. So uh, we might use a grant or a retained annuity trust or called a GRAT or a uh, number qualified personal residence trust. A lot of different things we can do. But uh, it all comes back to it's the babysitter instructions. (laughs) Appreciate that. One last topic, conflict of interest. You touched on this earlier. And so if... uh, Husband and wife, while married, can use a same estate planner, right? Absolutely. But your estate planner should be discussing with you in the initial meeting and laying out in the engagement letter that they represent you jointly. Yeah. And uh, that's something I like to talk about right up front. Yeah. (laughs) Because it means that if one of the spouses says to me, you know, maybe they, they leave my office and then one calls me the next day and says, well, Jen, I didn't want to mention this, but I have this concern or... Jen, I know I said this in the meeting, but I actually want to do this other thing. Yeah. I not only can't keep that co- uh, confidence for them, I actually have to tell the other spouse. Mm-hmm. So I let them know right up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I am keeping no confidences between the two of them. Sometimes after a divorce, a family will agree that one spouse or the other will stay with us as an estate planner, but that's only if both spouses agree. Um, Sometimes if we have a relationship with the family, the spouses will agree that that makes sense. But I do warn clients that that is a matter that the other spouse could object to. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Lots of very valuable information, (laughs) Jen. I've been speaking with Jennifer Taddeo. This is Hindel Grossman, and you've just listened to a podcast from Inside Divorce. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Hindel. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. 
email me at hindel at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.